Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What is the oldest supernatural being recorded in Britain's history? Why are we as Brits so obsessed with fairies? Welcome back to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, and this week we're looking at where it is that otherworldly beings come from. As always, we kick things off with this week's fact or fiction, so listen out for the answer at the end of the show. Are you ready? Here it is. Merlin the wizard was a real person. So was Merlin the wizard a real person? Is this fact or fiction? Find out at the end of the show. Now, we're looking at the origins of supernatural beings this week, and these are deeply intertwined with human history, the human condition and the natural world. Different cultures across the world have created intricate narratives and beliefs about supernatural beings to explain the unexplained and provide a sense of comfort when faced with the unknown. In ancient times, in some of the earliest human societies, ancestors were revered and it was believed that they were constantly present in the spirit world. These spirits were thought to project, guide and even punish the living. Here, the supernatural was closely connected to the dead and the belief their influence extended beyond death. In animistic cultures, the world was seen with spirits all around working as intermediary between the natural world and humanity, with people offering sacrifices to appease them. Then, as society became more complex, they developed gods and goddesses to explain natural phenomena and human behaviour. And then we got into mythological creatures and the supernatural. Creatures like dragons, griffins and unicorns often symbolised aspects of human nature or natural forces. Many of these supernatural beings were born out of folklore and oral traditions. Creatures like vampires, werewolves and fairies found their origins in the storytelling traditions of different cultures, each serving as allegorical elements to explore both human fears and desires. These beings are a testament to the human drive to make sense of the world, to seek meaning and to explore the boundaries of our understanding. They provide explanations for the inexplicable, teach moral lessons and serve as sources of inspiration and wonder throughout the ages. As beliefs evolve and human knowledge and culture advances, the fascination with the supernatural remains as a fundamental aspect of the human experience. For example, let's take a look at the werewolf.
The idea of the werewolf where a human transforms into a wolf or wolf-like creature has ancient origins and can be traced back to various cultures and legends. This being is told of in Greek mythology and European folklore and is often associated with witchcraft. This creature represents the duality of human nature. On one hand, it's a human with rationality and morality. Then, on the other, it's a wild, instinctive, driven character. This creature highlights the struggle between humans, civilised nature and primal desires. The werewolf, like many of the supernatural beings we hear of, has evolved in literature and popular culture. It explores themes of transformation, conformity and the relationship between our primal and rational selves. So, were these creatures made in the human brain to help understand the world better? Or are these actual creatures documented in oral tradition? Well, for me, it's seeing and hearing eyewitness accounts of experiencing such beings. So, when I was in Transylvania some years back, I had heard of a village that thought they were under siege by a werewolf. They really were absolutely terrified, so much so that every night they would leave a big leg of lamb or a, a sheep outside the doorsteps so that the werewolf would eat the meal and leave them alone. So where did that fear come from? Someone must have seen something to influence a whole village or possibly was it just an old folklore tale that got out of hand? And speaking of werewolves, can I just say, it's a very old film, not black and white colour, I think it must have been shot in the 90s. But if you've not seen it, you can get it now on our television, I think it's on Netflix, Dog Soldiers. Oh my goodness me, fabulous fabulous movie it's a real gem and those werewolves in it are fabulous now this week we hear from jan and she shares her friend sue's story where she was using a ouija board hi yvette my name's jan i'd just like to say i'm absolutely loving the podcast and um, i'm all caught up now so eagerly awaiting each new episode um want to tell you a story about my friend sue um, she's given me permission to tell this story. When she was 15, and she's in her 70s now, so we're talking over 50 years ago, uh, she was around a friend's house and they played with a Ouija board. And um, she said it was working, there were some messages coming through, they didn't think anything of it seriously. And Sue said, well, if you're real... You leave me a message at work tomorrow. And the friend said, yeah, if you're real, you give me a love bite. And they all giggled about it. And the night came to an end. And um, Sue went home. And she said the next day when she went in, um, she was an office junior at 15. She went into work and they had those calendars that you used to have where you would rip the day off. And as she ripped off the day before, she saw the next day with a message on it which in pen which said, I am here. And she got a little bit confused and she went round the office and was saying, who's here? Who wrote this on my calendar? Nobody knew anything about it. And um, she felt a bit scared about that. And then when her friend came in a short while later... She had the most enormous love bite welt on the side of her neck. 
didn't know how it got there. Um, she woke up with it. And as you know, a love bite will last uh, a fair while, at least a couple of days. And this love bite disappeared during the day. Um, she never went back to her friend's house. She never really spoke about it before. She's absolutely terrified of it. She doesn't like the fact that I go ghost hunting and I use a Ouija board. But I explained to her that I've been shown how to do the protection and to use it safely. Um, she's still not happy about it. We are coming to see you in um, Hoddesdon in November. We're coming to see the stage show. And she's a big fan of Most Haunted, but she has said that when it comes to the seance part at the end, she will step out and wait for us in the bar. So after 50 years, she's, it's still frightening her an awful lot. Looking forward to the next podcast. Thanks. Hi, Jan. Well, poor Sue, she must have been absolutely terrified when she saw her friend's neck. I know how you feel because when I see my fellow investigated with cuts, bruises and burns, it's absolutely horrific and very, very upsetting. Now, if you're interested in more info on the Ouija board, you can spool back a few episodes. In, quite, uh, in fact, I think it's quite a lot of few episodes. And you'll find a recording um, of a programme that I did all about them. Uh, so have a listen to that. Now, in over 20 years, I've done thousands of Ouija boards. And yes, some horrific demonic messages have come through and many, many lovely ones too. I remember my grandmother, the first time I had a conversation with her was through a Ouija board. And recently, whilst on the Most Haunted Theatre Tour, I do a Ouija board on the stage and invite members of the audience to come up. And in some cases, I don't even have to choose the audience members myself. The glass will go onto the board, or rather the spirit, will choose a seat number. And that person that sat in that seat will come onto the stage. And loved ones are coming through and spelling out comforting messages. And I tell you what, one lovely lady got a new car out of it. It's absolutely true. So the glass went over to, I think it was like E3 or something. Who's sitting in E3? This lovely little lady put her hand up. Somebody went down to get her and she came up onto the stage and sat down at the table. And um, I said, who's here for this lovely lady? And it spelt out R-O-N. And she put her hands to her mouth and she went, oh! That's my husband. He's passed on. We were married for 65 years. And I said, can you give me a word to describe? I said, what it felt like when you left your body, Ron. And he spelt out terrific. And then I said, do you want to ask Ron a question? And I thought she was going to ask something really, you know, spiritual, um, something loving, that sort of thing. And she just said, now, Ron, I've seen this car. She said, it's a new car and I just wondered if you'd think it'd be okay if I got it. And the glass went over to, went really slowly and the audience were going, come on, Ron! And the glass shooted over to yes and the whole audience went, yes! And that little, <laughs> that lovely lady, she was absolutely chuffed to bits because she'd spoken to her husband and he'd given her the confirmation of, yes, it's all right, love, go and get that new car. She was made up. So... That's the thing. And there's so many lovely stories like that uh, about the Ouija board. So it's not something to be terrified about. I think more intrigued. And I always ask if the sitters would like protection. And this is interesting. And some do and some don't. But what I do is I play an ancient chant of protection as the audience, when we do the theatre show, is coming into the theatre and it's played when they leave. So even though some people aren't bothered, they get it anyway, let me tell you. But also, I think it's really important 
when you're doing a Ouija board or a seance, always imagine yourself before you do it um, with a white light surrounding a beautiful, brilliant white light. And then always ask your past loved ones, whoever it may be, or your guardians, you might not, not have met them, just draw in close to me, just protect me, protect me. And just do that and always say just a little blessing at the beginning and at the end. I like to think that everyone is safe because, yes, there is a chance that something could follow you home. And you really need to open and close the board or seance properly. But as most of you know, my husband, Carl, doesn't agree with me on this and refuses to have any protection whatsoever. And he said, if an all-powerful demon can only come through a piece of wood, then they can't be that bloody well strong, can they? Well, I just shake my head and smile. We agree to differ. This week, we're joined by Dr. Francis Young, and he teaches courses at the University of Oxford in History, Myth and Religion for the Department for Continuing Education. His new book, Twilight of the Godling, looks deep into the history of supernatural beings across the UK, tracing their history from the Iron Age to the end of the Middle Ages. Welcome to Mum's The Word, the parenting podcast. Where we answer the questions you want to hear about parenthood. And provide you with real, honest advice for every stage of your parenting journey. Whether you're a parent-to-be, a new mum like me, navigating those sleepless nights. Or a more experienced parent facing the challenges of raising older kids like me. We've got you covered with relatable stories, expert insights and plenty of laughs along the way. So grab your headphones, a cup of coffee or maybe something stronger. And let's get real about parenting. We're not going to be sugarcoating anything from punamis to piles. Nothing is off limits at Mum's The Word. It's a podcast for all the parents out there, our own little club. Mum's The Word. Listen wherever you get your podcast from and hit follow so you don't miss an episode i'm delighted to be joined by dr francis young who teaches courses on history myth and religion for the department of continuing education at the university of oxford um he's written 18 books in the fields of folklore the history of religion and supernatural belief Um, Now, across Britain, there have been a recorded history of a belief in earthbound spirits uh, presiding over nature, the home and humans. Twilight of the Godlings looks deep into the history of these supernatural beings, and it traces their history from the Iron Age to the end of the... Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Middle ages. Dr. Francis Young, welcome to the show. It's an absolute delight to have you on. It's great to be here. Wonderful. Well, good luck with the with the new book. It sounds absolutely fascinating. How did you first get interested in this particular topic? Well, I must confess, I have been interested in the idea of other world beings, I suppose we could call them, or, or fairies, if we want to use a slightly more limiting term, since childhood. And I was really interested in folk tales and fairy tales. And then I became a historian. But I've always been drawn to beliefs that other people might consider strange uh, or a bit out of the box. And I'm interested in why people believe strange things, why people have believed strange things over the centuries. And so it's really an attempt to get to the bottom of where do these beings come from, these other world beings? I mean, what is the oldest supernatural being recorded in Britain's history? Well, the earliest that we can really go back with any kind of certainty is to the Iron Age. So the period before the Roman invasion in the first century, we get Iron Age coins, for example, which feature the images and names of deities. But we've also got the Romans themselves preserving the names of older beliefs. So, for example, the Romans preserved the names of lots of gods and goddesses who were almost certainly worshipped a long time before the Romans arrived, like you've got Sulis, the goddess of the springs at Bath, for example. So, yeah, probably that's the earliest we can go back to find the names of deities. I mean, we don't know, for example, what were the names of deities who might have been worshipped by the people at Stonehenge because nobody wrote anything down. That's a bit of a shame, isn't it? Well, do you think we'll ever know what's, what's gone on with Stonehenge and why it was put there? I doubt that we'll ever know fully. Uh, I mean, I think our, our knowledge is advancing all the time, but, you know, to some extent with these kind of prehistoric monuments that go way back to the Bronze Age and the Neolithic, the mystery is part of the appeal. Um, mm. And I, th- I think what I love is understanding the later folklore that's associated with some of these places. Yeah, so what you talked about the Romans beforehand. I mean, they did play a huge part in Britain's beliefs, didn't they? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that the the arrival of the Romans is a massive religious revolution for, for British people. It's probable that British people before the Romans were practicing a religion that was something like animism. So the idea of kind of deified natural features. So they might have been worshipping trees and rivers and hills and landscape features. And the Romans bring in this much more kind of, well, I suppose... It's different. It's in some senses more refined. It's it's polytheism. So it's the idea that you're worshipping these defined, 
divine personalities, you know, like, like Jupiter and Mercury and Venus and so forth. And what they do is that they encourage the British people to identify their own gods and goddesses as Roman gods and goddesses. So it's through this process called Interpretatio Romana, Roman interpretation. And so Sulis becomes Minerva, for example. Camulus, who's the god of the people who live around Colchester, becomes Mars, for example. So that, it, it's the idea that you're supposed to worship like a Roman and you're supposed to worship statues, for example. And we've got no real evidence that people before the Romans even had statues of their gods. It is. I absolutely find it it's so fascinating what we believed in gods and all the different types of gods and the different types of religions. I mean, and after the Romans, then came the Vikings with their own beliefs. And then, of course, there was the Christians. And then the Christians said, well, if you're going to stay in Britain, then you're going to have to revert, you know, become a Christian and and say no to your Viking gods. I mean, all and wars. So many wars have been fought over so many different religions. And yet... Here we come back to, and this is this is makes me smile. Fairies, you know that all these wars have been you know been fought ar- around all these different types of gods and religions and so on. And yet fairies, they've always been there, right from the beginning, haven't they? And sort of, I don't know, they just make people smile. <laughs> I don't think a war has ever been raged over fairies, has it? Yes, and I think that's why they've survived. Um, so in the book, I talk about them using this word godlings. And a godling is a little god, a little deity. So in other words, these are divine beings, but they are too insignificant to really kind of get anybody's back up to the point that they're going to fight a war about them. Because they are effectively beings with power over niches of nature and human destiny, which they're not really the kind of beings that would have a priesthood, that would have a temple dedicated to them, that would have a public cult. They are instead these beings that get placated as part of the basic process of rural life. You know, most people up until quite recent times lived in rural scenarios and were trying to, you know, grow their own food and kind of living off the land in subsistence farming. And in that situation, there's a great deal of uncertainty about life. And if you've got that kind of uncertainty, the idea that there are these beings who might be benevolent, but also you have to kind of keep them on your side, is something which does seem to persist through this extraordinarily long time. It's very difficult because when you say to people, you know, I I mean, I've spoken to people and they've said, I've seen a fairy. They're real. They're actually real. And I think it's the word fairy. And of course, you look back through all of, you know, going back to childhood, all the books about fairies, you know, Peter Pan and Tinkerbell and so on. It's almost if if a grown adult says to me, I've seen a fairy, I have to take a step back. But I don't judge because, as I always say, seeing is believing. And unless you've actually experienced something yourself, I can't can't believe in it. So but but I'm certainly not rude in any way. And I think, well, they they believe in it. They've seen it. So how how dare I judge? So do you believe that fairies are real? I think that's a difficult question for me to answer. I mean, as you say, seeing is believing and we should respect the experiences that people have had. And I have never experienced these beings. But as far as I'm concerned, they are real in the sense that people have acted and treated them as if real throughout centuries. They are what I would describe as culturally constructed beings or culturally constructed realities. In other words, they are something that is so important to people and the way that they live their lives that they affect people's lives and the way that they live, you know, much like religion does. Um, So I don't know, I'm... uh, 
I'm not sure I have a, re- a, a straight answer to, to that question because I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a historian. It's, it's not really my job to speculate about the existence or otherwise. But I just find it absolutely fascinating that people are still today, as you say, reporting encounters with these other world beings. And I think what you say about the word fairy is also important, that there are certain words that kind of trigger a response of ridicule. And that's why I sometimes avoid using that term when talking about these beings. And it's also not that accurate because fairy is just one tradition. You know, these beings are elsewhere. They're called elves in other parts of the country or in other parts of Europe. You know, they're they're known by all these different terms. And I prefer the term godling because the term godling also embraces much earlier kind of examples of these beings, like the fauns and the nymphs and the satyrs in ancient Greece and Rome. And these are the same kind of beings. And they're always connected in some way to nature. And they're always connected in some way to human destiny. Do you know, it's, I, I love listening to you because um, I, I, when I think about folklore and going back in time, what you're writing about and godlings, um, I'm a huge Tolkien fan. And um, it, by the way, are you a Tolkien fan? Do you, did you love his? Oh, books? sure, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, the Ents. You know, talking about trees. That I mean, that I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? How all of that and the languages that came out of his head were, were just incredible to me. But the point I'm getting to is, my daughter and I absolutely love all of this. We we find it fascinating. And once a year, um, there's a, um, a a big festival called Fantasy Forest. And you actually go and dress dress up in any, I'm going to call in any godling costume that you would like. So there's anything and everything from goblins to fairies to ents to, and, and people go and spend the day at Sudley Castle. And it's just incredible. Myself and my daughter, we got, the, we got fairy pixie ears and we were wandering around, uh, really enjoying it. But what struck to, to me was there were thousands of people there the majority of them were adults and here they all were probably policemen lawyers whatever you know doctors serious jobs in the day but here they were dressed up in these amazing outfits thoroughly immersing themselves in this sort of make believe world and i think to my, i think isn't it sad that we have to do that in a way it's sort of get out of our normal everyday life and sort of d- dive into this wonderful godling uh, world. And when you're writing your books, do you feel a little bit like that yourself? You're able to escape this world and dive into the most beautiful world full of all these creatures and godlings? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that to some extent, this is an attempt to kind of recover that wonder and curiosity that I felt in childhood. And I used to collect books of fairy tales. And then when I was about 14, I suddenly got embarrassed about this and I threw them all out. And, and I so regret what I did now because it's, you know, it, it's what's most interesting to me. It's, it's what I work on. And I, I think, yeah, there's this sort of, you know, desire to return to a, a state of wonder, which, you know, I do recover through writing about the history of these things. But I suppose my wonder now is, yeah, is, is for the stories still. I think some of these stories are absolutely astonishing of people journeying into other worlds and meeting these otherworldly beings, but also wonder at human imagination and human creativity and the way in which people are able to make sense of their relationship with the natural world via these beings. And I think that's, that's perhaps something which is 
more important now than it's ever been, the idea that we perceive nature as something that is living, you know, mm. not just a kind of dead nature that we have the power to exploit however we want to. Well, I tell you what, I'll probably send you some tickets to the Fantasy Forest. I expect to see that. What would you go as? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Come on well, now. Well, I suppose, yeah. My my favourite characters from Tolkien would be the Wood Elves. Um, you know the 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 elves who are you know they're they're elves, but they're ever so slightly morally ambiguous. They, yes. You can't guarantee that they'll necessarily be all that good or noble. And I, I think they they appeal. Their moral ambiguity appeals to me. I like that. I think I don't know what what what, what my daughter wants to go as because she could go as anything. She wants to go as a Viking warrior, um, and I'm not quite sure. There was Gandalf there. Uh, I think I'd go as a Hobbit. I think I would definitely go as a hobbit. That would be me. So I'll look out for you and you can look out for me. <laughs> can I just say, I'm really looking forward to reading your book. It's called Twilight of the Godlings and it's by Dr. Francis Young. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now then, let's get the answer to this week's fact or fiction. And to remind you, it was this. Merlin the wizard was a real person. So what do you think? What do you think? Fact or fiction? What did you say? Well, it's fact. Congratulations. I think I said fact. Merlin, who was also known as Merlin Kale Donessis or Merlin Silve Estros. I think I've pronounced that correctly. Forgive me if I haven't. He lived from about 550 to 585. And he's a figure from Welsh legend who served as a bard before ending his days as a prophet and mystic in the forests of Tweedledale in the Scottish borders. And Merlin is best known for his role in the Arthurian legends. And although he wasn't a wizard in real life, as seen in these legends, apparently he was a real person. Get in touch with us and share your stories. Here's the email address. It's contact at paranormalpod.co.uk. We are on WhatsApp. You know I love hearing your dulcet tones. Here's the number 075-999-27537. We are on Instagram where we share our pictures and your videos. Fabulous. Here's the handle at paranormalactivitypod. Get involved. Become one of my investigators. Let's go through this together. Stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow. And we'll be back again same time next week. But if you can't wait until then, visit www.paranormalpod.co.uk where you can find options to get episodes a day early. Have a great week. Stay safe. And remember, things aren't always as they seem. <laughs>